Welcome to the On Centerline podcast, a show where we discuss the trials and tribulations of learning to fly from both the student and flight instructor perspectives. We feature real aviators in all different chapters of their careers, talking about the things we all deal with, but rarely discuss. So join us as we take on the challenges, hardships, and celebrations that pave the runway to being a professional aviator as we strive to stay on centerline. Hey everybody, welcome back to the On Centerline podcast. I'm Sam Terrell, the Northwest Aeronaut. I'm joined once again here by my friend Brian Musson. And uh, today we've got a, a fun fun topic. I'm sure everyone can relate to what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be talking about our pet peeves. And we all have pet peeves. Some are perhaps more legitimate than others, possibly. I think it depends on who you are. Um, I know certain ones of mine, I feel, are more legitimate than others. Well, we all feel our own pet peeves are legitimate. Yeah, to us, they certainly are. (laughs) Um, I try to be as objective as possible with all my feelings but you know so brian i figure we can just go back and forth today mm-hmm. and uh kind of just talk about our pet peeves and um you know anytime i i bring up a gripe i try to justify it so let's start with you what's what's on your list the first thing i'd say is i don't really have pet peeves for primary students you know a primary student um has a tremendous amount to learn yep yeah it's not learning to fly a plane it's learning to fly a plane, it's learning weather, it's learning aircraft systems, Mm -hmm. and it's learning just a huge array of things. And everybody's going to learn each thing at a different rate. So I, even if it, even if one of the pet peeves I'm going to talk about is an issue for that student, Uh I got to put it out of my head. Yep. I got to just help them work on what's important for that lesson that day. Absolutely. Now, Instrument, commercial, multi, whatever. Tolerances get lower. My tolerance, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) isn't as good. Um, And part of that's intentional uh, because I've been chewed out by, uh, I I spent some time doing 135 uh, turbine Mm -hmm. flying and I've been chewed out significantly, you know, by ETC, by the captains, by a trainer in that organization for things that I did that I didn't really realize were an issue. Yeah. Standards need to be higher for the higher level of training. Yep. So, so my top pet peeve is use of brakes. You probably know this. Uh-huh. Um, yep. <laughs> um, you know, there's some planes like we have an RV 12 here, um, where you can't avoid using the brakes when you're driving around on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, it has like, you know, like a Grumman style, you know, full, not full swivel, but free castering nose wheel. Yep. And, uh, you can't, it doesn't have a big enough rudder to, mm-hmm. to deal with turning on the ground. So you need brakes. Yep. And you have to minimize your use of brakes, but you need them. Absolutely. The Cessnas that we have here, we have Cessna 150s and mm-hmm. 172s. They have totally steerable nose wheels, some better than others. Yeah, as much as a Cessna ever does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for those planes, you know, I just, I just can't tolerate people taxiing around with brakes. Yeah, especially when they're going straight. Yeah. Now we do have some inclines here and at mm-hmm. times speed gets out of control, but, um, yep. but yeah, riding brakes, using them unnecessarily. I, you brakes know, are for stopping brakes are for sharp turn. Yep. I love, I love the, you know, and again, you can't fault primary students for this, but like you say, instrument, commercial students, anytime we're going along and then all of a sudden I just get jerked forward 
And yep. then they're just like, they're trying to make that tight turn and you're just jerking for back and forth. Like just, yeah, <laughs> just with it pressure, <laughs> just a little pressure. Yeah. Right? I, I, I got a instrument guy I'm working with now. Who's a huge baseball fan. Uh huh. And, uh, you know, I, 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 let me just back up. I also know that, you know, when you jump in a plane that's new to you or with a new instructor, there's a stress level. Sure. And one of the comforts that people use in stress levels like that is they overuse the brakes. Mm -hmm. So I was telling them, stop it, stop it, stop it. You know, get off the brakes, get off the brakes. And he was telling me, he's a big baseball fan. And I said, I'm going to bring a bobblehead doll. And if you make that doll <laughs> head move. I like that. Yeah. You know, you're going to pay me extra. I'm, uh -huh. I'm tired of you using the brakes. You've got to stop. <laughs> and from then on, because, you know, he's a baseball fan. He knows a bobblehead. He's probably got a stack of them at home. Uh-huh. Probably lines uh, the mantle above his fireplace or something with them. Yeah, yeah, I like that. All right, so yeah, use of brakes, and even with the RV, there's appropriate use of the brakes, and there's mm -hmm. inappropriate. I mean, if you use, oh, I don't know if this is how you teach it or not, but I mean, I always teach it: use the full rudder first yep. with a little power, because you will get rudder authority with enough wind over it. And then, if it's not giving you the turn you need use a little break yep. but um so i i don't like it when people just keep the rudder still and they're just using brakes to turn because <laughs> you're not using anything else there yeah so on brakes let me yeah. let me throw one thing in the first break yep for a student okay should be their right hand pull, right pull the throttle to idle exactly that should be the first thing everybody does because mm -hmm. unless you're on a significant incline just simply doing that is going to be adequate so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you, for example, you fly a float plane, you don't have no, brakes. No brakes. So you come up with other ways. You on a float plane, you can pull out the carb heat, mm -hmm. and that'll help slow you down. You can oh, shut okay. off one mag, and that'll help slow you down. Yeah, because it just slows down the RPM. Right? Yep. Okay. Yep. So always think about you know using the brakes mm -hmm. as to stop. Right. After you've pulled the throttle out. Yeah. Ju not, just not to clarify, no, no one is suggesting you turn mags off or pull carb. You just slow down in a land plane. No, no, there's, <laughs> but, there's no need for that. Yeah. But it, it, just the concept that, you know, we don't use brakes all the time. We right. use them specifically for what's necessary. Yep. Stopping to yep. a full stop primarily. And uh, those tighter turns. If, if you're in the back of a 737, Mm -hmm. and, and the pilot flying is using brakes during taxiing. Everybody's head is bobbing. Yep. And you can be sure that pilot's buying drinks for mm -hmm. the whole crew that night. And you should buy them for the whole pat, all the passengers. Too. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, because the flight attendant's going to fall over if they do that. Mm -hmm. They're walking up and down the aisle. You can't do that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's see here. That's a great one. And I, and I agree. And uh, kind of specific. It's not just a flight training. It's specific to everyone. I mean... When I'm doing flight reviews, people on their own planes or whatever, it's like, I mean, they're, it's their brakes. They can pay for them, but. Well, there's a safety uh, aspect too. You know, mm -hmm. brakes that are super hot. Mm -hmm. We all talk about uh, a takeoff that you have to reject for some reason. Sure. If the brakes are super hot, your braking efficiency is reduced. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why the airlines, especially, they they have procedures after a hard brake or, or board to takeoff that they have to go yeah, through. There's a, there's a time you got to wait. Yep. Well, let's see here. Uh, that's a great one. And um, all right. So you're an RV guy. Here's, here's, this is notorious. RV being uh, the 
the, Van, the type Vans of aircraft. The Vans aircraft, yes. Yeah. The RV, um, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12, no 11 yet. Right? No, yeah, no, no 11. 11. Um, so I think the 11 was a one off glider. Was it? Oh, okay. Dick made. So this is not, this is not, uh, exclusive to RV pilots, but it is prominent among them. And it is when they're on the radio identifying themselves as red and white RV. Yeah. Or blue and white RV. Because I don't know about you. I can't tell the color of any aircraft unless it's too close to me for comfort. I mean, yep. If I can see the colors, that's a, a separate problem on its own. And then, the, you know, of course, then you get two RVs that are both blue and white RVs. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea who's where, who's who. I mean, we have call signs for a reason. What is the perceived advantage or actual advantage um, in just in saying that versus just saying your call sign like everyone else? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, I guess. Um, there's actually an advisory circular on non-towered communications that uh-huh. specifically says don't do that. Yeah, I believe I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's 90-66 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, don't quote me on that. But the advisory circular has examples of what you should say on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're dealing with a non-towered field, try this kind of thought experiment or just try it for real on yourself. When you're taxiing out or you're coming into land, did you hear everything everybody said? Mm-hmm. Were, are you able to repeat their tail number? Right. And keep track of the six other planes and their tail numbers. I think it's far more important that we are able to do that mm-hmm. than to actually identify a specific tail number. Yep. Is we, we've got to be able to build a mental image of where everybody is. Exactly. I agree with that. So um, to that extent, if mm-hmm. there's one person saying blue and white RV and everybody else is given their tail number, that one actually stands out to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't care if they're blue and white or pink and green. Right. But that one will stand out and I'll remember where they are. And sure. I, yeah, I think we should all try to follow the standard. And then the standard is your tail number. Mm-hmm. I'd like to just hear the last three in your tail number. Mm-hmm. I, because the extra digits just make it harder for me to remember. Yep. And, you know, as an instructor, my job is to keep everybody safe. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, the mental image absolutely is, is the goal, right? That's what we always talk about coming and going from an airport. So two, so two points to it. So I mentioned earlier, the problem arises when you get two blue and white RVs mm-hmm. and I've had that happen Yeah, or even Cessna pilots, white Cessna. Well, okay. Every Cessna is white, you know, yeah. and that really causes an issue there. But then from the other side of things, and I know you're minimal with your use of technology. Is that <laughs> accurate to state? Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Keep going. Where are you going with okay. this? Okay. So as we're getting into newer technologies and these days when we have our iPads and we got uh, ADSB traffic now on our, yeah. all of our planes, or at least the majority of them have ADSB in on right. the uh, Garmin GPSs. The Garmin GPSs don't give tail numbers, but for instance, I always fly with my iPad and I always fly with my Sentry. So I actually do see tail numbers on my ADSB traffic. So when people are using their tail numbers, I can actually look and see, oh yeah, that's that guy and that's that guy. And so it it, it helps me be, build that mental picture even better, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you got a blue and white RV, I could maybe guess looking at the screen, which one it is. But you know, if you just say 
it's not labeled as Boomer Red RV on the on the iPad. So, yeah. so you know, I think that's two sides a bit. Well, I I think you could you could cajole them a bit. Yep. And say, hey, Lone White RV, what's your tail number? I see a plane on my ADSB here. Yep. And I've done that. And half the time they are perfectly cooperative and reasonable. Uh-huh. And the other half, for whatever reason, they're not. They insist I'm blue and white RV. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you don't need to know my tail number. Well, I see your tail number. <laughs> I just, <laughs> and I don't know. That's just a personality. I don't know. Well, RV pilots do have a reputation for certain things. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. they do. Uh, some better than others. But yeah. anyway, that's that's one of my pet peeves. Just if, if you ask me personally, just use your tail number. It's there for a reason. It's identifiable, and there's no one else out there with the same tail number as you, as opposed to color schemes that you won't see. If there's two, you could ask one of them if they were white and blue or blue and white. Right, right. Well, you know, my favorite is, too, and this was one particular day, and it stands out because of this. We had two people saying blue and white RV, and then one of them, they both land, ultimately. And they're in different planes? Well, they're in different planes. Okay, not just two pilots. But one of them... To my eye, and is as some of you or all of you may know, I'm a photographer. Uh-huh. And to my eye, and I've got pretty good color vision. It wasn't even blue; <laughs> it's black and white. Okay. If it's blue, I mean, it's so dark blue, midnight blue that it, yeah, that it looks black. So right there, I mean, it just throws <laughs> the whole concept out the window. Yeah. Anyway, all right, what else you got? We'll do one more. For pet peeves? Yeah, yeah. one more. Stop being mean to the equipment. Okay, perfect. Uh, Here's the list of things that always come up. What RPM do you want to set your engine to after you've started it? 900 to 1,000. Sounds good. Not 1,200. (laughs) No. Why why go 1,200? I see people start up at 1,500. I see people start up at 2,000. And they just kind of leave it there. And they're sort of not paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. Be nice to the engine. The engine will pay you back someday. Absolutely. So bring it, bring it down back below a thousand. Yeah, and I think especially with primary students, a lot of that's just they get overwhelmed. They, they don't. Yeah, they don't even notice. It could be up at twenty three hundred RPM. They wouldn't notice. Yeah, it's noise. <laughs> um, exactly. But um, but yeah, certainly as you get further in training, there's no reason to have it up there. Yeah. Uh, something to pay attention to, and and it goes back to one thing I always teach, which is listen to your environment and your engine it's not just looking at a gauge listen you should know if something's off by the way it sounds yeah flying small planes is a lot more using your ears mm-hmm. than most people think yeah absolutely um and sure yep. there's different variables you know constant speed props versus non uh but uh but still you can hear you can hear changes so yeah be nice to your equipment Learn to close the door properly. Yes. We don't, don't need to slam. It need to be slammed. Very few doors actually need to be slammed. And when they do, usually it's to a, it's a small slam. Yeah. It's a, just an aggressive, it's not open it all the way. And then. <laughs> well, as hard as you can. Right. We're not trying to wake the neighborhood. Keep, keep the window shut when you're starting. Because if the window's unlashed, it's going to slam up yep. and slam down. Yep. And we're talking about Cessnas here. That single engine Cessnas. Right. Yeah, or just at least be aware that it's open and 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 hold it or whatever. But uh, because the biggest hazard there for me and my when I see my students doing is is as soon as that window does fly up, all their attention is on that window, and they go to close it. 
The engine could be revving up to 2000 RPM. Who knows if they're holding the brakes or not. They need to close that window. Yeah. So got to yeah. smack them on the hand. Be like, and <laughs> go out and fly one of the planes here. It's got, I think, four stop trailed holes mm -hmm. in, in the pilot side window because it oh, slams uh -huh. up and down and it develops cracks. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And a piece of plexiglass for Cessna <laughs> is outrageously expensive. I can imagine everything in aviation seems to be. Let's see. I'm just going to list. I'm going to list two, and then I'm going to give a third one that we can discuss a little bit more. So, quick ones. Any traffic in the area, please advise. Not a fan. That's what listening's for. That's what position reports are for. Yeah, the same advisory circular that mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier says, "Don't do that." Yeah, it specifically says, "Please don't do this." Right. Because yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's that one. Um, people, and and this is unfortunately, I mean, it's getting to the point where last call. Well, last call too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No need. But when you're in the practice area, we don't care that you're going back home. Just go. <laughs> Just go away. Just go. Um, yeah, or if you're leaving the airport, make it a point. Let, let us know you're departing to the south. That's it. Okay. But no, this next one, I feel it's becoming so prominent that, you know, maybe we should just change it officially if, if everybody wants to do it. So it's calling the departure leg the upwind. Hmm. When you're right over the runway. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, the upwind is very specifically laid out to be just like the downwind, right? Offset. It's the opposite of the downwind. Offset. So it has yeah. to be offset and has to be either left or right. Mm -hmm. But controllers and pilots alike always call the departure leg the upwind. They do, yeah. And yeah. I- And it hurts. It hurts. <laughs> and you know, I'd yep. feel better about it if the FAA said, you know what, you guys wanna call it the upwind, fine. We'll change it, let's call it the upwind. Okay, I'll give in, let's call it the upwind, sure. But then the question comes, okay, well, what do you call it when you're offset from the runway going the same direction? Because it's not, it can't still be the upwind. Unless you're going to say left upwind, right upwind, and center upwind. <laughs> center upwind. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That. Okay. So please call the departure leg its correct name. Nobody, you wouldn't like it if somebody called you by the wrong name mm -hmm. consistently. Byron. Yeah. Byron. <laughs> brain. Hey, brain. Yeah. Okay. okay. But this last one, uh, <laughs> you tell me what, you, what your feelings on it are. Moving maps. Mm -hmm. I am a day till I die, north up person. Oh, instead of track up or heading no up. No track up, no heading up. It, uh -huh. And I can justify it all day because mm -hmm. when you only are justifying your heading or your track in the way you're going, you have, I mean, that changes. And so therefore your personal interpretation of your world is only based on you and not what's going on, not where you are in the world. And it makes it a lot harder, especially for students, to try to figure out, am I south of the airport, north of the airport, west, east, where am I, when they are only seeing their point of view on the map from yeah. their perspective. Yeah, that is harder to figure out. So keeping it north up, you always know where north is, south, west, and it's easy because you can look at it and say, oh, look, I'm in the top left corner of the airport. I'm northwest of the airport. Mm -hmm. So anyway, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I suspect this is where primacy comes in. How did you learn and how do you think about it? Uh -huh. um, and that really forms your opinion on this thing. Yeah. It's, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say I've actually never 
thought about this one. I, whatever the, mm-hmm. the garment or, you know, whatever, just whatever the last person said it to you, whatever's yeah. looking at, I look at it and I think, Oh, okay, this is, this is us today. And it, mm-hmm. that's just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never even think about it. That's my world I live in right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I can get that from like you, uh, you know, you're experienced enough to the point where you, you get it no matter what, but especially when it comes to students and trying to teach them and they're making, Oh yeah, we're 10 miles North. No, you're 10 miles South. Or 10 miles west, you're not even north. Yep. Um, from, yeah, that primacy stage and, and just really, especially people who just have never even looked at a compass before. Like you're not even teaching them something aviation specific at this point. You're just teaching them how the world works. And so having that consistency of north is up, south is down, you know, east and west, um, I think really makes a big difference. Yeah, I, I have had students who... You know, you asked earlier, um, what, what's some of the hardest things to teach and, you know, positional, not Uh necessarily situational, but positional awareness for some students, I don't think they've ever gotten, I I have a student who, um, is very close to finishing an instrument check, right? I'm, I'm not their instructor now. I was their primary instructor. Uh Um, and, uh, this individual just essentially never got it as a private. I don't know how they are with instruments. Mm -hmm. I, I would assume they'd have to be better now the positional awareness was extremely difficult for them. Yeah. Yeah. The environmental understanding of where you are in space. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of important in aviation. And I, I, I've had the opposite too. I, I um, had a primary student who took a very long time to learn how to fly mm-hmm. the, the physical skill, but their positional awareness was just amazing. Yeah. Just from day one, they knew exactly where they were. Yeah. And, and a lot of that comes from your previous you know, whatever your background, right? And I found out later that this person was kind of like an amateur cartographer. Nope, and, that helps. And you know, <laughs> has a house full of maps and stuff. Well, okay, now I get it. Yeah. They're yeah. good at it. But, uh, and, and you know, it's not, when it comes to making position reports and, and doing it accurately, it's not just the pet peeve. I mean, it's absolute safety. Yeah, if you're expecting to see someone coming from one side and they blindside you from the other, that's a problem. So, so I encourage everybody to keep your moving maps north up all right well i think that that could be your new podcast that, name yes north, north up right? north up north up i'll do <laughs> I'll my second podcast <laughs> um anything to add on this one brian uh any other pet peeves any you just want to list off any well, psas well we so i'm gonna i'm gonna come back to that same advisory circular i feel like i'm a one-track pony on that's this. okay um they're in the advisory circular and in the aim, by the way, mm-hmm. um, when you're coming in and out of a non-towered field, um, there's recommended calls. Mm-hmm. Now, every airport, you might find some slight differences based on local procedures. Yep. But there's five calls when you come into an airport. First one is your initial call after listening mm-hmm. about 10 miles out. Mm-hmm. Second call is downwind. Third is base. Fourth is final. Fifth is exiting the runway. Mm-hmm. Not leaving the active, exiting a specific runway. Yes. Yes. Leaving the active <laughs> makes no sense. There is no ever. active. No. Ever. At, at, a run, at an airport with a single runway, if you say leaving the active, everybody knows what you mean. If more than one runway, now you've created confusion. Exactly. So tell everybody what you're clear of. Yep. Because that person who is... 12 miles out listening mm-hmm. and they hear leaving the active, they don't know what runway is in use. Yep. So tell everybody the runway that you left. Exactly that. And like you said, it clear the active on any, especially any airport with more than one paved runway, a physical runway, 
means nothing at all. Yeah. And active is an assigned terminology by ATC. Right. There's active runways at towered airports. Yep. But even then you shouldn't use the term. Nope. Clear of the specific. Runway. Exactly. And then there's, there's two radio calls you mm -hmm. should make according to the advisory circular in the AIM when you are starting up and you're going to taxi out and leave. Mm -hmm. And one is leaving the spot where you started from. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm at Hangar Juliet. I'm taxiing runway two. Mm -hmm. And the second one is right before takeoff. Tell everybody you're departing. Yep. Beyond that, there's no other radio calls you should make. Now, I'm going to throw in the same caveat I started with. Mm -hmm. If there's local procedures at your airport, that are fairly well understood, you're gonna try to follow those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. And you know, I always like, I will typically make a crosswind call with the direction I'm departing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I say I'm turning left crosswind zero two, be making a downwind departure to the south or yeah. turning left crosswind zero two, departing southwest, whatever it is, um, that's what I'll do generally. Um, just because if you just, it's, it's good, again, situational awareness. Yeah, we Letting got, people we know got where something you are. unique here. We, mm -hmm. we depart our airport in a non-standard way. Well, yeah, because we got some airspaces around us and things like that. And yep. uh, yeah, just and plus just a lot of traffic coming through. Um, so quite, we keep quite busy. When you are clear of the runway, make that call immediately upon crossing the old short line. Because I know here, especially at Twin Oaks, we try to teach our students, even if you see the plane off the runway, we don't, we don't go until you hear them call clear because we don't always see them clear the runway. Yeah, we have a little situation here where you can't see right. the other end of the runway. Yeah, if you're on one end, the other, you can't see it. So um, so we, we tell them, you know, don't depart or make don't make any calls until you hear them call clear. But then we get certain people who get off. If they call clear at all, they might not do it for like, what seems like forever. Yeah, they got to bring the flaps up and yep, put the exactly. carpet in and adjust the mixture and have a discussion mm -hmm. about the quality of the landing. Exactly, exactly. So make that call immediately so that everyone else can get on with their day and then you can do whatever you want to do. All right, well, hey, this was a good discussion. I think uh, I think everyone's got their pet peeves and, uh, and uh, I'm sure we'll be bringing up our pet peeves more in the future. But uh, thanks again for joining me today, Brian. Thank you all for joining us and we'll see you next time on Centerline. Centerline.